This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Welcome to the Open Pediatrics Nursing World Shared Practices Forum. My name is Christine Rockwell. I'm a master's repair clinical nurse specialist in the cardiac intensive care unit at Boston Children's Hospital. In addition, I serve as faculty for the program to enhance relational and communication skills, PERCs, within the Institute for Professional and Ethical Practice. With me today is Professor Yoss Latour. Professor Latour has been a pediatric and neonatal intensive care nurse for nearly 30 years. Throughout his career, Professor Latour has developed an extensive research background and published widely on various topics related to patient and parent empowerment and care, as well as end-of-life care practices, pediatric sepsis, and transition of adolescents with chronic illness from pediatrics to the adult care realm. He is an associate editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine and editorial board member of several other international peer-reviewed journals. Internationally, Professor Latour has been active in a number of societies and was additionally honored with several awards, such as the Fellowship of European Federation Critical Care Nursing Associations in 2008, the European Society for Pediatric and Neonatal Intensive Care Lifetime Achievement Award in 2009, and three Presidential Citation Awards of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. Currently, Professor Latour is clinically based at Dareford Hospital in Plymouth and Musgrove Park Hospital in Taunton, UK. In this post, he is leading the clinical schools to enable research translation into clinical practice, build research capacity, and develop and value a research culture in clinical settings. So Professor Latour, welcome. Tell me, what led you to your interest and involvement in the end-of-life care issues? Well, what happening uh, about 30 years ago when I started working in the pediatric intensive care unit, a couple of events happened. Uh, the first one was actually there where we stopped the treatment, uh, um, i.e. the ventilation of a child, mm -hmm. where the parents were not involved, and they were not present. And, and while, while stopping the treatment, I suddenly said to the consultant and my colleague nurse, can I, can I have this child on my lap because I can't just stand here mm -hmm. and see how this child is dying in bed without the parents. Mm -hmm. So that was quite an emotional experience for me. And the second event happened, what happened fairly soon after that was when the parents called me in my night shift. I had to give them the blood results and the parents said, you know what? This is it. We, we crossed the line here. I just want to have a multidisciplinary talk. Um, and I, I agree with the parents and I organized in the middle of the night a multidisciplinary talk where we actually sit together with the consultants, the pediatricians, uh, the nurses and the parents where the parents decided to stop the treatment. Mm -hmm. So looking at these two events, what occurred um, quite closely in, in time perspective is that um, I thought are we doing the right thing? Why, why is, are these two events so different? And what were actually the needs of the parents? Mm -hmm. um, because they were different. So I, that lets me to quite an interest in what's happening, how can we improve the care, and do we deliver the care according to the, the wishes and needs of the parents? Mm -hmm. 
So with your extensive experience in this area, what do you see as current priorities in end-of-life care today? Well, I have my personal opinion, but let's, let's, let's go back because a couple of studies we've done, mm -hmm. I was involved in this one study um, um, where we look at the high priorities within pediatric intensive care nurses. Um, it's a large European survey study where actually the top priority for all nurses working in PICU, and there were about 70 or 80 experts participating in this Delphi study, is that improving end-of-life palliative care for children was the top priority. But it also comes back to the second highest priority, where communicating and uh, decision-making processes around the care of uh, foregoing and, and, and sustaining life treatment decisions is one major, one major topic. Now, that was a European study, and mm -hmm. I, I believe the next um, study we've done in the, um, during the World Congress in Istanbul in 2014 is um, another group of experts actually rated the, um, the, the uh, facing the death of end-of-life decision-making and what nursing intervention directly impact on the child and the family as, as the most top priority um, uh, in nursing research. So from a personal mm -hmm. perspective, I would completely agree with the studies we've done uh, among all these experts in Europe and in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think there's, there's looking at the scientific evidence up till today is that we started off about 10, 15 years ago, several groups around the world mm -hmm. looking and exploring um, at what's happening around end-of-life decision-making. Um, that is often like qualitative studies, looking at the individual needs of parents. Um, we've done also a European survey about what are the views of the nurses mm -hmm. about end-of-life care. So there were all explorative studies. Now, I think last year, at a certain point, when I started looking at, so tell me what kind of interventions are appropriate for us nurses to look at to improve actually the end-of-life care um, from a nursing perspective, I realized that there were very, very limited interventional studies yeah. that um, are published. And, and, and I think that is one of the top priorities for us. We have enough explorative studies. We know what parents want mm -hmm. around the world, mm -hmm. um, or at least in most countries mm -hmm. in the world. We've got quite a number of studies what mm -hmm. parents want. Uh, we know what the perspectives and the experiences of mm -hmm. our staff, of our nurses are, are in terms of um, involvement of end-of-life decision-making and the whole process. What, what do they have to do? Mm -hmm. But I think we need to look at um, good intervention studies and evaluate them. Wonderful. So, you know, interestingly, bringing it back to all of the different work that was done across Europe, um, how do you see the needs varying cross-culturally among families at end of life? And how do we determine as clinicians what the best methods are to meet those needs? Right. Um, the first question is how do needs vary across cultural uh, uh, settings or the, the cross-cultural, intercultural mm -hmm. needs of families? Um, 
I do recall a study that interviewed 56 parents and they identified six priority areas. One is uh, honest and complete information. The second one is ready access to uh, staff. The third one is communication and care coordination. Mm -hmm. uh, the fourth one was the emotional expression and support of staff. And the fifth is pre uh, preservation of the um, integrity and, uh, of the patient-child, uh, mm -hmm. the parent-child relationship. And the last one was faith. Now, looking at these six major priority mm -hmm. areas, these remind me a lot on explorative qualitative studies about the needs of parents in the intensive care where the number one always among like eight or nine studies I'm aware of that honesty and 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 mm -hmm. and correct information giving at the correct time mm -hmm. are the top priorities so I believe there's a challenge because the question from you is about mm -hmm. the intercultural or the cultural differences right. That is often neglected in many studies. The mm -hmm. studies are based from many we know from the US or Europe, mm -hmm. but we have little, little knowledge how parents in Asia mm -hmm. actually uh, define their uh, priorities, define their needs. Are they included in, in end of life processes when mm -hmm. it comes, when it starts with the um, discussion about life treatment, yes or not? Mm -hmm. um, because I, I recall I just came back from China last week where I heard that parents do have to make a decision in the neonatology intensive care uh, concerning life treatment if they can't pay. Mm -hmm. So if parents can't pay, they um, ultimately make a decision to stop a treatment because there's no financial backup for mm -hmm. them. So this definitely not happen in, in Europe and possibly definitely not in the US because mm -hmm. we try to find funding to pay treatment for those children when we see that, there's, that, that the treatment would be very helpful for the child. So in terms of a world perspective, I would say there's a lot of intercultural um, impact on parents which we don't yet know uh, and it's not out there in the literature as well. Mm. The second question is that mm -hmm. uh, how can the bedside uh, nurses best determine those uh, meeting those needs? I think there's there's a couple of uh, arguments for that. Um, I always address to my colleagues in the PICU that we have to assess upon admission already the needs and wishes of parents and document that uh, and, and communicate it among the old team members. It's not only about their involvement in difficult decision-making, but it's rather their involvement of care, the involvement of um, uh, communication levels. Um, it, it comes close actually to the, to the philosophy of family-centered care issues, mm -hmm. where you would like to include the parents in the care, but not only care, but in, in difficult decision-making uh, processes as well. Now, the other argument, I believe, is that it should be multidisciplinary. Um, um, we nurses tend to sort of overrule and overview the whole process of uh, caring for mm -hmm. the family. But um, there's, a, there's a variety of, of services in the US, in Europe, and in, 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 in Asia where I learned, for example, in the US that there's an increasing number of palliative care teams now mm -hmm. in the PICU available. Well, in Europe, it's 
I wouldn't say there's no, but that would be very limited availability of palliative care teams in the PICU. But if, if possible, yeah, we should we should try to establish palliative care teams mm -hmm. in the PICU. However, um, we do have, luckily, and I think we should co uh, communicate and collaborate with the psychologists, social support workers, pastoral care, and and even sometimes uh, invite ethicists. Uh, into the discussions. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken a little bit around cultural challenges and um, some things that you faced already with end of life, but what do you see as challenges that we in the healthcare community face around end of life care today? Uh, that's an intriguing question. Thank you very much, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there are lots of challenges mm -hmm. for us. Um, there is in the world an increasing cultural diversity among patients and families, mm -hmm. what we experience is and that implicates actually the, the shared decision versus informed decision model. Um, what I like to address is the autonomy of parents. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are um, the challenges across the world and, and, and even within countries, the challenge is actually the level of autonomy where you would include the parents even making a decision about uh, end of life care, yes or not. And as far as I understand, in the U.S. system, it's a very shared uh, decision-making model where parents would possibly mm -hmm. often, I would say, often make this ultimate decision. Now, if you go back to across the ocean to Europe, uh, there are laws where it would say the, medic the medical, the doctor, is the ultimate decision-making about end-of-life care. That's, that's, that's incorporated in the law in many European countries. Now, if you then cross to radiation countries, as I addressed just before, is that parents sometimes have to make the decision mm -hmm. due to financial uh, constraints. Um, but that varies a lot, what I learned, because China, I mean, it's a 1.3 uh, billion Chinese living in one country. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of variation going on, mm -hmm. even between NICU and the PICU. Mm -hmm. So that is. The, 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 the mingle and the mixture of all the cultures uh, within uh, Europe and in the U.S. is a mm -hmm. challenge. I mean, I, I, I acknowledge actually that the, in the U.S. you have got an enormous diversity and mm -hmm. this diversity of family members might, may implicate also a diversity of their own wishes. Um, I think the other challenge is that what I call partnering with parents. Mm -hmm. The family-centered care principles are coming into place here very much. Well, one of the um, uh, interventions we used to do already for 20 years in the Netherlands, and it's and in some PICUs in the UK, is to provide parents a diary and have them written down how they feel, what they experience during the PICU, as well as nurses and doctors in layman language mm -hmm. write down what is going on with a child. Um, and particularly, we use that for long-term uh, patients in the ICU. And I think providing parents a tool that, that gives, gives them not only during the course of the PICU um, any 
sort of support and supportive help. Because mm -hmm. what I what I experienced when I ride in the night shift, mm -hmm. uh, hi little John, you I had to wake you up because you need to and the tracheal suctioning during the ventilation. Mm -hmm. But you went to sleep directly, were, were lovely, so everything went fine. If I write this little layman language quote, parents when they come in in the morning, the first thing they do is take the diary and just start reading. Mm -hmm. That that knowledge actually. Um, well, it's not acknowledging, it's more we, we partner with them and tell them actually how it's going on. Um, well, there's, there's another challenge that I believe which is difficult and comes back to the cultural issues, the coping strategies. Mm -hmm. um, parents have different coping strategies mm -hmm. and I think we should, we should train ourselves and all new nurses and, and even the established nurses in, in various coping strategies, mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to uh, end-of-life care issues or the death of a child. I addressed before a bit like intervention studies are needed. That's yeah. another challenge because if you do intervention studies, um, you wouldn't need validated instruments to evaluate the mm -hmm. uh, intervention. Now, the challenge for us now is that we don't have enough tools available that are validated. Now, I know there's the uh, PICU QODD, that's the PICU quality of uh, death and dying. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a validated instrument that really, it's a 20 item instrument that's really rigorously developed and tested. Um, so that's one uh, instrument. And I think the group of Kathleen Mayert uh, developed another validated instrument um, evaluating the bereavement uh, mm -hmm. levels of parents. So there are gradually, since the last four years, instruments coming in where we can then have a rigorous intervention study to test these uh, new interventions. Another challenge is, um, we all know, I mean, mortality rates between in PICU range between 3 to 5% mm -hmm. in the US and in the UK, as well as in Europe. Uh, more, these, 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 our PICU databases show this. Um, but what's happening is, um, because it's just a small number of cases we experience this, 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 this kind of end-of-life care practices mm -hmm. um, is where we, um, I don't know, it's possibly the impact it has on not only on the parents but the impact on us right. uh, nurses. And I think we nurses, we, we, we try to do our utmost best to, to deliver the, the highest quality of support and care mm -hmm. to the parents and therefore most practices, what we do in end-of-life care is highly valued by, by the parents. Um, another challenge, what I would believe, is um, developing bereavement support groups for mm -hmm. parents. If you look at the pathway of mm -hmm. the child from full treatment to end-of-life care, mm -hmm. um, is that the bereavement support group comes almost at the end of the pathway. Now, it might be interesting to, one of the challenges is to organize follow-up care meetings mm -hmm. with the parents. And as we've uh, done in the Netherlands and in the UK, um, we, we, it's a nurse-led follow-up care, um, uh, what we do with parents. So six weeks after the child died in the PICU, mm -hmm. the parents are invited to come back to the hospital and to review the whole process mm -hmm. of the care. 
Um, it has never been evaluated, mm -hmm. but I know there's a study came out last year in critical care medicine, um, it, which was actually a physician parent follow up, uh, follow up mm -hmm. meeting, um, which was highly uh, um, valued by the parents and as well as by the physicians. So what, what they've done is the intervention was a training program for physicians. Mm -hmm. How do you organize? How do you communicate with parents during a follow up meeting? And then it was measured, uh, I think, in th about 30 plus uh, follow up meetings that were evaluated where parents were very uh, pleased. So that is a challenge whether we should, should sort of uh, look at that. Mm -hmm. um, in neonatology, actually, is where we've done a world survey, 80% of the 117 participating NICUs mm -hmm. from 36 countries mm -hmm. worldwide, 80% do organize face-to-face -face, uh, follow-up meetings mm -hmm. for parents. So there, in the terms of, of, of a world perspective, I do believe we do have quite a number of very good interventions that have been that, that are taking place, mm. but um, the funny thing, we don't share it that much in, in the literature. I mean, yeah. we share it on, among conferences, we share it in this open pediatrics uh, um, uh, discussion forum, uh, but, but, but we can learn more from each other to improve the care. So it sounds like one challenge is that we really need to start looking at it and also putting it into writing. Right, yes. yes. I'd like to turn now to the audience to ask our colleagues around the world a question. When you reply, could you please state your city and country location? The question is this, what are the spiritual and religious needs of parents when facing difficult decisions in your country? And we're back now with Professor Latour. What role do you see nurses playing in facing these challenges? Uh, that's, that's a very interesting question mm -hmm. because I think we should be more anticipating. Mm -hmm. um, but let me first refer back to a study we've done. It's a European study mm -hmm. about the views of uh, nurses, critical care nurses, and their role in end-of-life care practices, where, where we saw that in their perspective is that the timing of end-of-life discussion was just mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. was that 53% of the nurses said, well, no, I, I, I disagree, it's not right. Mm -hmm. um, and the next question was actually the timing of end-of-life discussion is often too late, where that 60% of the nurses, and that was a, a survey with around 200, no, sorry, 160 nurses, 60% of the European nurses said, well, it is often too late. Mm -hmm. Now, are they always actively involved mm -hmm. in end-of-life discussion with the physicians? Is that half of them, they would say, yes, I strongly agree, and mm -hmm. half of them, they would say, no, I disagree. So there's a, in terms of the role, I believe um, we should be more proactive, and as I said, um, it should be multidisciplinary. Any uh, discussion from the first moment mm -hmm. on when when treatment is discussed whether it's it's optimal or not optimal or whether we should stop a treatment or withhold mm -hmm. a treatment uh, I think uh, the nurses should be involved um, mm -hmm. and often you might have um, the opportunity of that the nurse would then while being involved in the discussion without the parents, the nurse can, on the bedside, support the parents much more better when they are fully informed about mm -hmm. the difficult decision. Mm -hmm. So I think the support system um, 
for the nurses and the role what they have to uh, play in the PICU among difficult decision-making processes is a very important. Um, um, the funny thing is that when we, we asked the nurses in the survey, we, uh, the survey we done in 2009, um, would you know, the level of involvement in end-of-life decisions positively uh, influence your job satisfaction? Mm -hmm. Now, 72% said, yeah, it does uh, positively in, in, uh, affect my job satisfaction. So, so somehow it's not only something, something nurses should do, it's almost a compulsory um, mm -hmm. um, act we, we have to do mm -hmm. during our um, clinical work. Mm -hmm. So how do we encourage nurses, for those that don't feel they're empowered to participate in these discussions, how do, you, how do we encourage nurses to become a part of that? Yeah, I think, I think uh, if you look at the workforce we have in the PSU, you've mm -hmm. got very experienced PSU nurses and you've got the new staff coming mm -hmm. in. Uh, basically, depending on the country where you are, mm -hmm. you have to have um, a pediatric uh, post, pediatric intensive care postgraduate training. Mm -hmm. Now, regardless, the training is there on a national level. I think um, end of life decisions and involvement and end of life care and intercultural communication with parents, mm -hmm. these topics should be included in the educational program. Now, the countries which does not have this um, um, postgraduate training, I would, I mm -hmm. would strongly suggest that, uh, that workshops will be organized for the junior staff to become more mm -hmm. uh, empowered to be included in end-of-life dis discussion. Because it, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a skill, mm -hmm. but it's also something empathic you have to learn because mm -hmm. there's a lot of empathy coming into the communication with parents. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, learning to how to argue your patient with the doctor. That's a skill as well. And I mm -hmm. think these skills needs to be developed in an ongoing uh, training program in every PICU and NICU. Mm -hmm. I'd like to turn now to the audience to ask our colleagues around the world a question. When you reply, could you please state your city and country location? The question is this. Are nurses involved in end-of-life discussions with doctors in your intensive care unit? And we rejoin our conversation with Professor Latour. I'm interested to know if we've asked families the importance of nursing being involved with these discussions and whether there's been an impact there because we do look at things as an interdisciplinary team and wondering where, where the family fits in with this. I mean, is this something that they're asking for? Has anyone looked at that? Um, I think parents are more empowered these days. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happening, um, in, for example, in Europe, I, I really need to address this. There's the European Foundation of the Care of Newborns and Infants. Mm -hmm. It's a parental organization, it's a federation of over 30 national parental organizations. Now, what they've done, they have written a white paper about the standards of um, care, how they would like to mm -hmm. see the standards uh, of care we do in the hospitals. Now, as said before, parents become very strongly empowered telling mm -hmm. us what they like to do. Mm -hmm. And I think we, there comes a time that um, 
we, we can't possibly exclude parents anymore in any discussion, in any decision-making processes along the, the continuum of, of, of having a child in the pediatric and neonatal intensive care unit. Um, so, so we don't have to uh, work on, on the empowerment of parents. The parents do it them themselves mm -hmm. already. Um, However, across the world, there's an enormous difference. If you look at the visiting policies um, in pediatric and neonatal intensive care, is that we don't tend to talk about visiting policies mm -hmm. in pediatric and neonatal intensive care in the US and in Europe. Um, we, we would say you are welcome for 24 hours. So that's a start. Mm -hmm. um, now, in many other countries in, uh, in the world is that there are limited visiting hours for parents, just a few hours to none. Mm -hmm. um, however, there, there's, a, there's a trend toward opening more and more. Now, having the visiting hours coming open, that implicates that we need to communicate mm -hmm. with the parents. And mm -hmm. I think uh, that's where the basis is of the inclusion of the parental uh, involvement in end-of-life mm -hmm. decision-making when difficult decisions have to be made. Mm -hmm. So we have become a much more global society with many different end-of-life needs. And it's understanding those needs at times that can be difficult because they differ from our own. And as clinicians, it can be hard to reconcile. What are your recommendations regarding that? Uh, I, think, I think it's a challenging question what you addressed. Um, so let me start first that I do believe a limitation of treatment does not implicate limitation of care. Mm -hmm. Now, keep that in mind is and transform that to our clinical practice. And one of the recommendations I think is, and the importance is that we should have us um, show empathy to parents mm -hmm. uh, in any process of care we are, even from treatment till the most difficult decision-making all the way till the, 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 the child is dying at that moment. Because if you look at empathy, definition of empathy is that I am able to recognize your feelings mm -hmm. from somebody else. Um, I believe that is what we should do constantly throughout the pathway mm -hmm. to assess the feelings, how the parents feel, what they actually want. Um, and, and, and that empathy level of, mm -hmm. of, of nurses, uh, um, it's, it's quite difficult. I mean, can you learn empathy? I would say uh, possibly yes, because in, in, in various nursing curriculum, they have um, empathy as a module in it. And there's also the Jefferson Empathy Physicians Empathy Scale available to test actually the level of your team of uh, empathy. But uh, basically the recommendation is be as um, empathic as possible while defining the individual needs of mm -hmm. the uh, parents and the family members. So we've, we've talked um, a lot about the past and what brought you to your interest in end-of-life care and the present, but I'd like to hear about the future and where you see end-of-life care in five to ten years? Where would you like to see end-of-life care in five to ten years? Well, if I would have a global ball to look <laughs> at, and uh, indeed I would love to, to forecast what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, 
I might forecast that, as I addressed before, we will have more interventional studies looking at specific issues uh, in end-of-life care pathway from the early early discussions on till the follow-up care. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, ideally, I would like to see the end-of-life care practices from from a nursing point of view that we have a more rigorous nurse-led follow-up mm -hmm. uh, clinic to uh, support the parents uh, uh, in their bereavement, to support the parents on the longer term, what's mm -hmm. happening. Um, we've done a study uh, among, among parents from Muslim uh, background and we, we figured out, it's a qualitative study, interviewed three, three parents and we figured out actually during the recruitment of the study that uh, out of the 21 eligible parents, most of them did not want to participate just mm -hmm. because simply they, in their religion, they believe that it's done, it's over, mm -hmm. I continue. Whether that is a religious cultural implication, mm -hmm. we, we still don't know that. Because mm -hmm. if you look at um, um, the study we looked at, the care practices around death in the NICU, the World Survey, is that in Saudi Arabia, colleagues would say um, the rituals around that, it, that in the, it's, it's a culture that parents are only informed uh, when the child died. Mm -hmm. so, so, so there are so many cultural differences, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but in, 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 in five, ten years' time, I would like to have a, not only a certain increased body of knowledge, but also intervention studies, which mostly best likely to be implemented in a larger group of parents. However, I always have to say however, because I believe um, it should be individualized. You, mm -hmm. The number of cases we take care of in end-of-life care are limited mm -hmm. compared to those who survive the PICU and NICU. Um, so individualized based care is, is the most important way forward. Then the last topic, I would hope for the next uh, five to ten years to have um, um, a better care for the grandparents, the siblings. Because mm -hmm. we talked about parents for uh, quite some time during this, uh, this time. Um, there are um, some recommendations how to deal with the siblings, how to guide when one of the brothers and sisters is dying, yes mm -hmm. or not. There are several books available. Mm -hmm. I know in, in the Dutch situation, in the English situation, um, so there are, are several um, guidance uh, and, the liter and literature available for that. But uh, don't forget, it's all about it's not only about parents only, it's the whole family dynamics mm -hmm. where we have to look at. And for me, it would be uh, great to see in five to 10 years time that we, that we take care of the whole family dynamics uh, and, and, and at certain levels, may possibly we have to look at critical junctures in the pathway mm -hmm. of a child dying in the intensive care unit where where we would have a sort of recommendation to look at and what to hand, what to do during every critical junction with parents or and or siblings and or grandparents mm -hmm. so basically yeah we have some still some work to do thank you very much
Thank you. Well, thank you, um, Professor Latour. We really appreciate you um, sharing your experience, your expertise, and your time with us today. Okay. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.